Hi, I'm Eliana Yolcut. And I'm Tova Leibovic Douglas. We are two rabbis and two mothers here to talk finding wisdom in work, parenthood, smashing the patriarchy, and the juggle of the everyday. The Torah we carry in our pockets at home and in the world. Welcome to Not Your Jewish Mother. Welcome, listeners. Season two, episode two. Very symmetrical. I love that. <laughs> um, I love symmetry. It helps with like my tendencies. So <laughs> that makes um, a lot of sense uh, to me. Symmetry. Yes. And um, we're so glad to be back with you here this second season for our second episode. And I'm really feeling a lot of like juggling of balls in the air, Tova. You too, I think, right? Oh my gosh, this is like the most intense time. I feel it. Yeah, I really think when we start school and the high holidays all fall at the same time and work gets started again, like it also obviously the pandemic, I think everybody feels it. So we're with you listeners. I want to share a story, Tova, with you, can I? I have not told you this story offline, so it'll be really fresh for you. Ooh, so um, it's not like a pre-planned thing like we usually no, no, do. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You, we usually maybe have mentioned the story, but Great. I've been talking to my kids a lot about, they had their first day of school yesterday. Let me start there. And when they came to the car, I said, first things first, I want to hear three things that happened at school today that were in your mind, good things before we get to any complaining. So I've been like really trying to focus on wins. That's, that's by way of saying like, I've really been trying to motivate myself, Tova, but also like the kids to like first start with the positive before we get to the complaining. I'm like, I'm taking notes, listeners, because I need this lesson. (laughs) Keep going. Sorry. Mostly because I need it for myself, but also because I want to help them like see the world that way, really, in the end. So today I want to share a story that I think is about a win. It's about a win for me. It's about a win for them. And it's about a win for Jewish institutions. We were sitting at dinner, the kids and I, my wife was not home from work yet. And we were having dinner with each other. And we actually had my parents on FaceTime, which is a pretty common occurrence because my parents love to talk to my kids. And it often is a good time. The only time my kids will sit still to actually talk on the phone is during dinner. And something came up. I actually don't know what like started the conversation, but something came up about pronouns. Like, what are your pronouns? And my daughter, Ayla, and I got permission to tell this story because they're old enough now that I need to ask their permission, said, oh, Ima, when we were at Camp Ramah and I was in jewelry making, like the first day of my chug, that's like a little group that the, for the week that when they sign up for activities, the teacher, when we went around and said our names, we were also supposed to say our pronouns. And a lot of kids, some kids, Ima, didn't know what that meant. But, you know, I know what that means because I know from some kids at Milton, that's the school that they go to. And I know from so-and-so mentioning some friends of ours who have children who were born of one biological sex and have a different gender identity. And she went on to explain this. My mom asked a bunch of questions and she was like very astute and insightful and thoughtful. And then we went around at dinner And we all, my mom said, well, what are your pronouns? And we all went around and said our pronouns. And 
I felt so much joy listening to her describe this in a very typical way, like as if this was a part of her everyday life. And hearing that the Jewish institutions that we've decided to send our children to are practicing this, are practicing this like open space, open environment for children to figure out who they are, how they want to identify, how they see themselves in the world, that my kids, our kids are taking this all in and actually like being able to reflect it back. Elijah shared that there's like a Keshet, it's called a Keshet club at Ramah, but I think my understanding from what he told me is for the older kids, it's like a support group for kids who are dealing with questions of sexual orientation and gender identity. And I felt so proud. Like I've been so happy as I've told you, Tova, about Ramah. And like, I just, it is like another win for Camp Ramah, another win for my children to be a part of institutions where this is happening and these conversations are going on. And I, I like, it changed the entire experience of dinner and the entire transition to, to teeth brushing and bedtime, which Tova, I don't know about your house, but it's not a pleasant one usually in our house. And it really was amazing to feel so hmm. moved by not just who they are in the world and who my kids are and how open they are to these conversations and ideas, but also that the institutions that we've picked to send them to and to affiliate with are like really practicing the kinds of values that are important to us. And I wanted to share that because it was like a win. Total win. That is so profound. I'm just so happy to hear that. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. It's heartwarming, heart opening to know that spaces that maybe once long ago would not have had such opportunities for conversations like that and like this. And the fact, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I know your mom and I know how wonderful she is. And I know, I know your children and how wonderful they are. And, and I'm just imagining that scene. And really, I, I think the word that comes to mind is profound. It's really profound. And I'm really, really glad you shared it with, with all of us. It felt profound in the moment. So, and also, can I just give a shout out to Rama Palmer? Camp Ramah, New England. Of course. Um, and its director and staff who just did an unbelievable job in this way, but it also and always. But I remember seeing the Keshet label when I drove them in to drop them off on the sign, thinking like, I wonder what that means. Like, I know they did training with Keshet, but like, does that actually trickle down to the children? And I'm happy to say that it does. Yes. Well done, Jewish institutions uh, yes. moving into. It's good when we can do that, right? Yes. We can well, say. that's why. That's why. It's important to identify the wins when you're critical a lot, which I definitely am, yeah. is, a, is a challenge for me. And so I'm, I'm identifying a win and celebrating it. Yeah, I'll take that too. Awesome. Well, Eliana, I'm reflecting and realizing, I know we talked a little bit about this, how this season, because the high holidays are so early this year. And it literally coincides with school starting, which is really a balagan for both of us. Balagan means little crazy making for all of us that we made the, I think, wise decision to release these episodes every other week, right this moment, so that we can make sure to deliver the best possible content that we can deliver in our limited time, right? So I'm grateful for that. And I'm also reflecting that what we're going to talk about today, we're going to sort of lean into high holidays in general. And I think that just means that it's going to be released, you know, after Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, it's going to be released right in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Right, that liminal space between. Exactly. So 
just as like a note to like both of us, I was just realizing that. I don't know if you realized that. You probably did because you're usually a couple steps ahead on those logistics before me. But I realized that as I'm about to talk. So I'm just going to be mindful of that as we talk about this. And so here we are in the high holiday season, really the pinnacle moment, right, for for all of us as, as Jews in this calendar time, in this ritual year. And yet again, we are here. And things are yet again, not normal. We are in another year with many places going partially like hybrid virtual or completely virtual. Different synagogues and communities are making a variety of decisions for their communities that are really quite astounding and hard and challenging. And also it's just making us think over here, how do we gather How do we gather as the world has upended the way that we normally gather? I've been asking myself, and I know, Eliana, you've also been asking this question, what does it mean to gather? What is the point of prayer? I'll just mention that article that we were talking about. Yeah, definitely. Definitely do, though. Don't don't read this article, people. (laughs) Yeah, we really don't want more clicks on the article, um, so (laughs) don't click on it. But it's, you know, the title. Can I say the title? No, we don't want to say that. We don't want to say that. Well, you can if you want. I just, you know, it's so offensive. Even the title is offensive. Yeah. So maybe if I say the title, people won't want to read it. Okay, good. Go ahead. Okay. Our Bodies, Our Shuls is the title. We don't want to give it so much air, but what the article unearthed for us, and I'll speak for us, and and I hope that's okay. Yeah, do. Yeah, definitely. Is the question that we have been asking, Eliana, right, for a very long time, which is really like, how can we find ways to gather and to celebrate and mark these high holidays times and to pray when the world really is completely different and there's a pandemic and there's safety involved and we are responsible for one another as a collective to make sure that we are morally and ethically committed to making sure that people are safe in whatever way we can and all the ways that we do with vaccinations and masks and distance and perhaps going virtual even for some of us. So I guess we wanted to have this conversation of just really tackling from our personal standpoint of how we're really marking these holidays, but also generally just going and zooming out into this broader question of what is this? What is this thing that we do and how can we do it in a time in which we are doing it differently? And so I'm just opening with all those questions, Eliana, and whatever kind of comes to the surface for you, please, I I would love to hear where where you are at right now. Yeah, I think I'm like, where I'm at is not in a good place, Tova. I mean, our synagogue has been open um, in some capacity now for most Shabbat mornings for a number of months. And it feels like even just the sort of notion of gathering feels so fraught. And even though I'm not a person who like once I make the decision to go somewhere, even during COVID, I feel like, okay, this is my choice. And like, I feel confident in the decision, even though there is some risk involved, but the gathering itself feels to have fundamentally changed. And I'll just say not in a good way. Right. Can you say, can you say more about that or I don't want to cut you off, but no, 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 no. It's a conversation. It's been very hard to identify. Like, I don't really know. It feels sad. Uh Uh-huh. And someone said to me, a congregant of mine who I really respect, she said to me, it's because kiddish doesn't exist. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, 
like the touch point for people, even for introverts, was that like you got to see people that you cared about a kiddish and like talk to them. There's a custom to gather together and eat. But most synagogues have not reinstituted that because obviously the danger of eating together is pretty big for COVID. And so because you have to remove your masks mm-hmm. and all of that. Zooming out, are you going to synagogue regularly and feeling this? Yes. Great. Okay. Yeah. Helpful. And I think that like thinking about the high holidays, which is already, in my opinion, and I don't know if you feel this way, Tova, so I would be curious, a very hard time to feel like we're gathering in a typical way. In other words, like when I'm the rabbi officiating, I feel connected to the community. But when I attend the high holidays as a participant, I find it very difficult because so big, I feel overwhelmed and it doesn't feel the same for me as it would on a regular week. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, I'm already feeling disconnected from gathering Mm. because it just feels so hard. Everything about it feels hard, you know, awkward and disconnected. So our synagogue is not allowing children inside. There's a tent outdoors. Mm -hmm. And so we will go there on the second day of Rosh Hashanah and also for part of Yom Kippur. On the first day of Rosh Hashanah, we're we're attending a smaller non-synagogue-based gathering of a friend and a colleague of mine in her backyard because it felt so bad last year to be on Zoom or to be on virtual. I, I didn't feel connected at all. I did all the things. I put on my prayer shawl, I had my prayer book, my special prayer book for the high holidays. I did it all. I made the space nice. We created a like a warm environment to sit in together. And it just felt like no, like nothing, like empty. And I worry about what gathering will become or what gathering has become. And how do we reconnect to the things as communities that make gathering a profound, complex, spiritual, social, emotional experience? Mm. And I don't, I don't know, I don't foresee right now being able to come back to that anytime soon. And it feels like a loss for me. Yeah. I hear that. I hear that. I'm going to, I'm going to pause in my reflection. I have more to say, of course, but I want to hear a little bit about where you're at and how you think about some of these questions that you raised. Yeah. I mean, what you said resonates very deeply for me. In some ways, I think what I've done is like a little disassociative work <laughs> that is like not great all the time, but in some ways can be helpful in moments of real sense of loss. Cause I think there is a sense of loss that I'm feeling as well, especially in the second year. For instance, last year, it felt sad and I was really apprehensive about it, but I worked really hard, I think, with Austin to sort of build build for the moment, you know, and I'm less motivated to do that this year. And I think it's just because I, the word that comes to mind is I feel bereft, you know, and when you were talking, something that sort of came to my mind is, and I think I mentioned it in the questions earlier, I'm asking the question of like, what is the point? And not like, not what's the point, like, I don't care about it, but really what is the, what is like, if we distill purpose, purpose, exactly. And so of course, one part is to gather and to be in community. And I, like you, at least when it's not a pandemic, we are not back to going to synagogue regularly for a lot of the reasons that you said, I think I feel sad going regularly. It feels there's a disconnect. And also I have some, you know, COVID fears that are like underlying always, but 
when I used to go, the high holidays were overwhelming for me, as you said, right? Like it's just so busy with so many people and it's overwhelming. This like synagogue that I knew my place, like where I like to sit, it's not really even there because they transform the synagogue. And there's really beauty in that. There's like a feeling, oh, this is this is the high holiday season. I feel that. There are so many people here that are wanting to pray together and be together and connect. And that's beautiful. But that's only one aspect, right? One aspect is communal gathering of it. There are many other aspects of the holiday. And I guess what I'm asking myself for this year is how can I lift up those other aspects. And so the other aspects for me really is a connection to the tenets or the values of the holidays, right? Like chuva, right? This idea of returning to ourselves and really doing that sacred work in a more intentional way than maybe I usually do. And then prayer, how do I how do I pray when I'm not going to my synagogue, which our plans are actually not to go to our synagogue, not because we don't want to, but just with COVID safety, it just didn't feel like the right call. So we're doing a small gathering in a backyard with just a couple of families and I'm, I'm running the service, but I'm asking myself, well, what is the point of Rosh Hashanah? What's the point of Yom Kippur? Okay, let's figure that out. And, and that's, that's what I'm doing a lot of internal work right now. And I'm very hopeful that it will come together in a way that works for, for me personally and the people that I get to experience the holidays with, which will be far fewer than normal. Yeah. And I think like the wire that that trip for me was like also like how bad I feel for pulpit rabbis right now, mm. because I think like that, that notion of like, okay, like one, we can't go back to fully in person. Maybe we're never going to go back to fully in person. Two, or in other words, we're going to always have to offer a virtual option. Two, now you have to, after 18 months of like doing all of the incredible pastoral work that pulpit rabbis have done, shepherding their flock through COVID, burying people, sitting by hospital beds, like all of the stories that we all have from our friends and colleagues. Now you have to come up and ask yourself this question, right? Like what is gathering and how do we do it both in the virtual sphere and in the in-person sphere in a way that makes sense? Like you're right, Tova. Like I think for sure the question is, what is the purpose of getting together to pray? Like, why do we do it? And for right now, why do we do it specifically? Is the high holidays a different purpose than maybe the rest of the year? And I don't know the answer. That's, I think, maybe what's scary, Tova, when you said it. I was like, I don't know. Why did I get so much out of communal prayer space and prayer experience? Why was it such a resonant thing? There was a sense for me, I can tell you as I talk, of like home. Yeah. Like I... I grew up in a synagogue that was really not a good synagogue. Like it was very mediocre, but I feel so comfortable in that space. Right. And it feels so much like an anchor for me. And what does it look like during COVID, during the remainder of COVID, and hopefully, please God, post-COVID, to gather in a way that feels to other people, not just to me, like what does it mean to come home to an anchor mm-hmm. each each day or each week or however often you're you you one prays and the warmth of that experience feels very absent for me right now and i don't know how do you bring that back how do you create that even if you're in someone's backyard or even if you're in your own living room how do you create that space of like an anchoring warmth that can feel meaningful to you and to your children if you have children. And I think your word bereft, like I feel very bereft coming upon this second high holidays 
in a different way than I did the rest of the seasons that we've gone through now with COVID the second time around. And I want so much to follow your advice, to like find other ways to connect. I'm throwing myself into my meals and my menus, to be honest, because, (laughs) and we're having one family each night. We decided that was safe. Kids that my children are either in school with or already like a small group that we spend time with indoors. And I'm like throwing myself into that. And I think part of why I'm doing that is because of this problem that I'm having, which is at the the prayer gathering. But you're, you're right. Like, what is the purpose of gathering? Yeah. I think this is what these last two years have really lifted up is there's a sort of a deconstruction of everything that once felt like it worked in some way, you know, is no longer working. And that's not to say that it won't. My hope, please God, is next year, this will not be the conversation we're having, but rather we will be having the conversation of, oh my gosh, we're going back. It's happening. Part of why we gather, I think, like when you were talking, I was thinking like, what is it? And part of it is like this pausing that happens together, like a together pause. And in the together pause, I wonder like, is there a word, Tova, that like will be your clarion call word for the high holidays for you? Like if you can't go to services, is there a prayer that you love? that you're really going to like miss and want to just read on your own or a prayer that's like, or a single word from the liturgy, from the prayers, or just from the season that you're going to hold on to during this time. I'm just curious. Like, I know it's, I know you don't like on the spot questions, (laughs) but like, is, is there something? I'm getting better at the on the spot. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I feel like for Rosh Hashanah at the bare minimum, that shofar is going to be really important. Yeah. Right? Like it's always important. It's a big primary, you know, event, but it's now actually that call from that shofar. It's kind of everything for me right now. I need to hear that shofar and I need to hear it and I need my soul to take it in and I need to feel it and I need to wake up. I think additionally, there's certain like tunes, which this is really interesting to me. While I do, you know, appreciate and love our liturgy and I know it, I'm finding myself nostalgic for melodies or the sound of the high holidays. And that's really interesting to me because I I don't think that I would have thought that, you know, like that's not something I think about consciously, but that's what's coming to the surface. And so like, we're going to be doing a Vinu Malkainu because I need that. I need the words, but I really need what's behind the words. And, and, and so that those are some that are coming to mind. There are more, I have actually, like, I actually just did a list yesterday of the ones that I really want to make sure we're doing, but those are the ones that are like, if you're asking me on one foot that comes to the surface, those are the ones. And what about you? Is there, is there one or two that really are speaking? I have one or two that are always speaking to me and the, you know, there's a lot of God language in the high holidays, Oh yeah, which I'm sure for many of our listeners is hard for me. I'm very, very, I know this will surprise you too, but very drawn to the two that kind of go hand in hand is Yodea Kol Nistarot, the God who knows all of our secrets and Bochein Livavod, who explores our hearts, mm-hmm. who like is an investigator into our hearts. And the knowledge for me that there is the Holy One out there knowing the true me like the ultimate me, is not scary. It's like incredibly comforting. Mm. As a person who doesn't always feel so well understood or known by people in my life, like it's really helpful for me. And I feel like especially now and during this difficult, what feels like a very difficult season, it feels really powerful to be anchored by that idea. And so even though I'm not going to get to have the prayer experience that I maybe want, I'm going to try to hold on to those words just to remind myself that that doesn't go away, even when we can't gather in the way that I wish we could. Mm. 
that's where I'm at. Mm, I love that. I feel like we have more to talk about on this topic. And so I'm excited to continue the conversation and in our next our next one go maybe to like reflecting on how it was in some way. I would really like us to do that. If it's okay, I'm gonna wisdom Torah, pocket of Torah, however we want to label it these days. Would love it. Would love to hear it. Part three, as we say. <laughs> yes, part three. Hit it. <laughs> it's the third act. I've been really thinking, and Eliana, I know you have been thinking about this as well, how Rosh Hashanah in particular is this really, this holiday for women, of women, by women, that it's really the womb and woman holiday. And it's really touching me this year. And I didn't bring this up in our conversation because I wanted to share it in this moment. But I would say that value that we were talking about, right? That value of what the holiday is, that is what's coming to the surface over and over again. I think I spoke about my connection and love for the new moon in Rosh Chodesh at some point, like the new month. And Rosh Hashanah is the ultimate, ultimate, the ultimate holiday of the new moon, right? It is the start of the year. It is the birth of the year. It is the day that the world was created, the day the world was birthed. And as a result, if we look and explore the many aspects, and I won't even get to all of them because it'll be way too long of a talk, but I want to just highlight some. I want to highlight that we get to read about Sarah and Hagar on this story, two women who are deeply connected by the fact that they both end up partnering with Abraham in different ways. Sarah is married to Abraham. Sarah is barren. Is And I don't like that word barren, but I'm just using the word because that's what our text says. But she's unable to conceive a child. And so she has Hagar, her, her closest person really at the time, you know, a maidservant is the, is the label. But really, I, I would argue when I read the text, she is actually probably the closest person to Sarah an intimate person in her life who then conceives a child with Abraham, Ishmael. And the story goes, Sarah eventually has her own child with Abraham, Isaac, and she gets very angry and she sends Hagar away. And in that sending away, it's a very cruel moment. But Hagar has like this very deep, profound connection to God in this like desperation and is saved when she sees angels. It's a beautiful story. One should read it in the text. But here we have, again, women, Sarah, Hagar. So I'm just lifting those women up and we could have judgment and feelings and critique about this story. And yet here they are, two women dealing with really a sense of loss and a sense of desire to connect to, I would argue, life. We also read about Hannah. Hannah, who ends up being the mother of Samuel, but really is, again, a woman who's not able to conceive a child and is desperate for a child. It says in the text that she goes up to the Temple Mount as this fierce woman. That's what I like to say. And her name, Hannah, means grace from Chen. And she goes to the Temple Mount and she prays. And it says that her lips move, but nothing comes out. She's kicked out because the priest is like, uh, you're like a drunken woman, get out of here. And yet that woman is actually the model for how we're supposed to pray. But here we have, again, another woman, Hannah. And I would argue not even just another woman, but a woman that is wanting desperately to be a mother who is yearning for life. The final one I'll put out is the shofar that we blow. There is a story that goes for 
you know, what, what, what are these, what are these sounds? What do they mean? What do they signify? And of course there's one, there's one story that it signifies the true uh, signifies King Sisra's mom. King Sisra was a king. He was going into battle and I won't get into the specific story, but there is this line where his mother is waiting by a window for him to return, knowing that her son is actually likely to fall in battle and not return. And her wails mirror the wails that we hear the cry from the shofar. And I think what this all says to me, you know, I like to say that our tradition is made by men for men to be reinterpreted by more men. And I struggle with that. But here we have a holiday that I think our sages, our rabbis knew that this was not a holiday made by men for men to be reinterpreted by men, but rather it was a holiday that only, if we're talking about the birth of the world, if we're talking about life, the only, only characters that can be lifted up really truly are women and mothers. And I think that this holiday is a holiday that we are lifting up the womb and life. And I want to lean really hard into that because we don't lean enough into that, that truth. So for this Rosh Hashanah, I'm just wishing us and this high holiday season, really, the ability to sort of yearn and crave and feel the desperation and the love for life. Because I think that's what this holiday teaches us over and over and over again. And I'm wishing all of us a Shana Tova, a Gmar Chatima Tova, and you, Eliana, especially, just wishing it to be sweet and joyful and full of life. That's what I want for us. Right back at you. I love that Torah. It reminds me of the word rechem for womb, right? From the word compassion. Yeah. Like, uh, beautiful. I love that. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. I think we have to go. I don't want to go. Yeah. Listeners, uh, thank you for being here. We are delighted to be back for season two. And we are wishing you, of course, a beautiful, life-fulfilling and sweet, beautiful new year. Thank you for following us on Instagram at NotYourJewishMotherPod. Shout out to Eliana, who was in Real Simple, who um, mentioned our podcast in there. And keep on subscribing and sending this to your people, rating us on Apple. And again, thank you for being here. We are wishing you two weeks filled with courage, hope, and love. Take good care.